0: Hey, welcome back. I'm Ray Ray, the host of Shift in the Script, a podcast where we will delve into all things mental health, from individual personal journeys to professional insights, tips, and advice. We're going to cover it all. So join us as we speak with all different types of people and explore how we can help, understand, and navigate our mental health. So without further ado, let's dive right in. how's it going everybody it's ray ray here back with shift in the script we are here with a wonderful person that we just met shay Wissell. um she is actually in australia and uh something awesome about her is she is just about to submit her phd so i will let her introduce herself more so and tell us more about that okay
1: thank you so much ray for having me on the show i am in uh melbourne australia and i've just crawled out of bed so it's great to be here (laughs) um my work is based around uh supporting young people and adults who have dyslexia i was diagnosed with dyslexia when i was 27 well with dyslexia and dysgraphia actually and um that sent me on a bit of a mental health spiral mm. and um, after I recovered, we, I really wanted to see if other people were having the same difficulties that I was in the workplace and that led me to do uh, my research around dyslexia in adulthood, particularly in the workplace. And as you mentioned, I'm just about to finish submitting my thesis and my PhD after six and a half long years of work, unfunded work.
0: man that's 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 crazy to think about like going that long doing that much schooling and then it's right here right at the end getting ready to be submitted you must be super excited about that
1: I am it's a really weird feeling I think it's after doing something for such a long period of time but I am turning my thesis into a book so I'm just working through that at the moment so that's awesome Yeah, I always wanted it to be a resource tool for workplaces and for individuals. And that was the whole point. And along the way, I got to publish papers on my research, but um, I always wanted to turn it into a book. And so I've kind of drafted my thesis in a way that it's easy to flip into a book. Well, I thought it was anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. So you were um, saying earlier that you had uh, your diagnosis with dyslexia. And then what was the other one?
1: Dysgraphia, so a writing, so my writing is quite significantly impaired. You wouldn't think so if I'm doing a thesis, but actually it takes me a lot more time to get my thoughts onto paper and uh, I need a lot of editing support. So I can articulate myself really well, but when I have to write it down, it becomes quite jumbled and um, impacts my emailing at work, my text messaging. I'm always in trouble with my text messages that they're too blunt and direct um Mm. and so that's where i i see it most is in my writing
0: gotcha okay so did when when what age were you um diagnosed
1: 27
0: 27 okay did you notice that it like um during your earlier years that there was issues with it but you just weren't diagnosed or did it kind of progress as you got older
1: i think it progressed it was very evident when i went to university because i studied speech pathology and I couldn't say the big words. We had to do neuroscience and I couldn't say all those words. And I didn't understand concepts the way everyone else did. And I we had to do a lot of reading and I just I couldn't do couldn't keep up with all the readings. And so I really struggled, but I didn't know why I was struggling. And for me, I thought everyone was the same. Like I thought everyone had challenges with maths or that their letters moved on the page and I never really asked anyone was this normal mm. and it wasn't until I went back to uni to do my masters because i had been very badly bullied when I was a graduate in my speech pathology in speech pathology um because of my writing and my difficulties in reading and we'd have like journal months and I wouldn't be able to read and explain what the journal was that we'd have to look at so I had a lot of challenges in the workplace when I first started and Mm -hmm. I left that career for a while and went and did my masters. And I had a tutor who sat me down one night and said, I think you might be dyslexic. And that's when my whole world changed.
0: Wow. So what, what was it that, um, when they noticed that you had that, what was it that they really focused on to help you, you know, progress while you were going to school?
1: So when I was at school, my beautiful mum who recently passed away, she read all my work for me. Yeah, thank you. She was my biggest supporter and that's what we found through my research is mums tend to be our biggest, our biggest advocates. And for yes. me, it was her doing all my, uh, editing all my work because she was a teacher and then went on to become a principal. My auntie is a secondary school teacher. She was a principal. So they used to edit and my auntie, auntie still does. Um would have helped me with my work, but at the time I was, you know, I'm 43 now, so these types of conditions or difficulties weren't really understood back then. Mm. So yeah, it absolutely. wasn't really it wasn't picked up until until I was 27. But it's not uncommon for people to not get diagnosed until they're adults in Australia. I don't know what it's like in the US.
0: Yeah, it's. I think mostly because they do a lot of in the US, they do a lot of standardized testing. Um, for kids, and it starts young, pretty young. Um, like, for me, I was diagnosed with um, attention deficit disorder pretty early because I was all over the place. <laughs> I could not pay attention. I, it was horrible. But they also did um, testing on me to test out math, English, writing, all that stuff pretty early. I want to say it was, like, fifth or sixth grade. So they found out, too, that I, had, I was horrible with math english i just you know it didn't work for me i just couldn't i had to reread everything over and over and over again to just mm-hmm. get one sentence to make sense for me yeah you know so it i think it does start younger but it's i still think like even in australia that it it's very much under diagnosed and people still struggle all the way you know through school all the way through college so yeah
1: they do, and so were you diagnosed with? I think the term you use in the US is learning disability, the same as us. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. in Australia, the, we have an umbrella term, learning disability, and then under that, dyslexia fits under it, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, if you've got maths difficulties. And I would be really surprised if actually I'm not ADHD. I don't. Mm. Since doing my doctorate, I've um and learnt more about ADHD. I wouldn't be surprised if I have that (laughs) based on the ability to do so many things at one time. Um, So because I run my business as well um, and I work in a day job, it's made me reflect on that I'm probably, I probably am. And at some point I'd like to get diagnosed just just out of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, But really my area of work is around dyslexia. So that's interesting. We didn't know that when we first met each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's a bunch of different stuff that we talked about, and some of the, of the things that we were late in, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk about all that. So, mm. yeah, so you had mentioned too that um, you were running a business.
1: Yeah, so um, in 2015, I started my own podcast show. So, that's exciting to be on someone else's. And yeah, that okay. grew into a national charity. So, that's called Dear Dyslexic. And it's really sharing stories of adults' experiences because we didn't have anyone talking about dyslexia in adulthood when I was diagnosed or in 2015, when I started to develop them, there was still no one in Australia talking about it. Mm. And so then that grew into a national charity and um, the charity's main aim now is to raise funds to help fill the gap for people who can't afford to get an assessment or tutoring or, you know, they might be doing a PhD and they need some support. So we would fund that for them. And then I have my kind of for-purpose business, which looks at coaching and workplace support for individuals with dyslexia and also the workplace themselves, so upskilling them to better understand and be more inclusive of dyslexics in the workplace.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. They definitely need that. We definitely need that here too. Yeah, (laughs) I've had some
1: conversations. I've been talking to some people in America about how we might be able to roll this out um in the us so i hope in time we will be there
0: that's awesome yeah it's definitely needed here definitely not enough support for you know people that do suffer with those you know learning disabilities um you had mentioned earlier too that <clears throat> excuse me that um it caused uh, some mental health struggles for you when you were um diagnosed could you go more into that
1: yeah, so when I was twenty seven, I was um, I married young and was starting to go through a divorce when I found out I was dyslexic. and um, I ended up in hospital a few times after attempting suicide. So I got really very sick uh, after I was diagnosed, and it was a combination of things, but for me, I was really angry that I hadn't been picked up throughout my education and to be doing a second degree. And uh, a master's, and finding out that I had these difficulties was very, really, uh, was life changing for me. In um, now in a lot of positive ways, and I've done a huge amount of work in this space. But at the time, I, I felt um, there was a lot of grief and loss around it, and not really knowing how I fitted into the world anymore because I'd done all this training as a speech pathologist, and I loved the work, but I really struggled with it, and. I was now moving into more management roles but i couldn't do the writing and the training i was doing so i was struggling all the time and uh, even though it gave me answers to it it still all of a sudden i had this disability label which i didn't understand and there was such a lack of support outside of my family um, and close friends and that's what set me on this journey of you know trying to help others because I think particularly when I was working with young boys in secondary school that had learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities and autism, and once they left that structure, you know, what was going to happen to them? And um, mental health is such a big issue. And if we look at dyslexics, we're one in 10 in the population. We're 50% of the neurodivergent population, and we are at higher rates of attempted suicide, depression, anxiety, and lower mental health. Um, outcomes and so sadly my story isn't unique I'm just one of many that have gone on this journey but what I'm hoping to achieve through the work I've done is that we can reduce that risk of such poor mental health we all go up and down and that's that's normal and for us we face a lot more uh, mental fatigue so it's really about how can we raise awareness of those challenges but also how do we in self care because we're so. I think, especially you know, if you're ADHD or you know you're neurodivergent, we're trying to manage not just how our brain works differently, but then we're trying to engage in society and an environment, and and it's exhausting. And so, self care is really, really important. Yes. And so, absolutely. if we can reduce as many people as possible ending up in those types of situations, um, my job is done on this earth.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can also tell, like when you're talking about it, your passion behind it, which is, you know, admirable. And I think a lot of people are searching for that. They're searching for their purpose and and their passion. And I think that, that when we use something that we're struggling with or have struggled with in turning that into a positive, I mean, you, it's, it's, you know, you're unstoppable in what you can do with it because you've experienced it yourself. So, I mean, that's incredible that you're doing the, all of the work that you're doing along with getting your, you know, your PhD and then still trying to move it all the way out of Australia and into the U.S. I mean, it's it's incredible the amount of time and effort that you've put into all of this,
1: which makes me think I probably am ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. And when I talk to people about it, they kind of look at me as if I've got two heads. But it, it's, it is my passion and I think I'm really lucky that I found my purpose. And even though it hasn't um, monetized in the way yet that I would have hoped and my husband was saying the other day, you know, you've been doing this for seven years and any other business you would have closed by now because, you know, where is the, where is the money? And I said, well, what are we valuing here? I said, the money is important. It really is. And that's why we've uh, diversified to have this kind of corporate for-purpose arm. In the hope that we can grow in Australia and in the US. But I said to him, if we're looking at the value of a service, and you've um, made such significant changes in such a where there's so many systemic barriers, um, you know, then then the value is there. But it is it is hard. And there are some days, especially, you know, we're looking at global economies collapsing and recessions. And uh, it's very there is real no possibility here that, you know, you do have to live, you have to have money, but yeah. I'm hoping that, um, that we will grow because the need is there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you, so I would like to go back to, um, the studies that you did is, um, did you find there was a specific community of people that really suffered more than any, anybody else?
1: Well, it was all focused on dyslexics. So the first study we did, we looked at mental health and well-being using an assessment tool. Mm. And what we found was overall, even though um, adults would on paper, they look like they're doing really well. They're quite educated. So what we found is dyslexics work in all different areas across
0: mm.
1: all different levels from ground staff through to directors and CEOs. Um, but their social and emotional well-being was really low compared to the general population. And we couldn't answer why that was, but I think through my and second research around the workplace, you could start to put together that if you are really struggling in the workplace, regardless of how educated you are, um, and you're not feeling socially connected with people, and you're not feeling loved or valued, um, all those core, core parts that make us a human, um, then you're not going to have that good mental health and wellbeing. Yes, and so absolutely. that's what And work is such a huge part of our lives for so many different reasons, not just the paycheck, it's the connection, it's the ability to feel good about something you're contributing to. And when all those positive factors start to drop off, it can become really hard for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so much, I think there's more to learn too, that people are just, they're nervous to dig into that when they notice that they may be struggling themselves. So I think you know having unbiased opinions about what's going on and then people who are educated in all this is really having that come together for people and having those resources for everybody is going to be it, it's you know it's so needed and i think once it's out there and then people can find it and f- people can find you especially with you know you being as a resource for everybody it's going to be life-changing for so many people
1: well i hope. i hope so. Sorry. it's really exciting Yeah, it is exciting. I can't wait till I'm finally a doctor. I'm doing some presentations in the US in the next couple of months, actually. Um, Yeah, which is exciting. One's at three o'clock in the morning, so I'm going to go with that. The time zone differences, as you and I experienced this (laughs) this week, Um, being dyslexic, trying to work out the time zones. And one of my supervisors, she works across all, all around the world, and so she's got all these different clocks on her wall. With all the different time zones and i've been thinking i might need to do the same
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, a good way to stay organized
1: <laughs> yes it is a good strategy <laughs> and i think yeah, and that's yeah. a
0: lot of the work i do
1: now is around what are the strategies uh you know there's so much talk around ai and chat gtp mm. and um there's a lot of fear around it but from the conversations i've had with dyslexics you know it's it's game changing because of the way it can yeah. write for us I sent something to my auntie the other day to look at, she said, oh, there were no spelling mistakes. It was written really well. I said, that was chat GTP. And she said, oh, no. And I said, well, (laughs) this is, you know, it saves so much time. I don't have to have a human being. Now I can put it into chat and it checks it for me and reworks it. And it's my ideas, but it's just making, it's articulating it for me in a way that's needed.
0: Yeah. So I think it takes away the, the, other people that you may have needed to go to and you have one program that can help you with all of it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of different versions out there. I mean, I was using one prior to that called WordTune and I would put my sentences in and it would restructure it for me and it would give me about eight different options for how it had restructured it. And sometimes it wasn't right, but most of the time I could take that and then just tweak it or sometimes it worked well. And um, so there's lots of different resources out there now, but people just don't know about them. And I think that's one of the, the great things about our program, particularly our coaching, is that um, people come to us and we open their eyes to all these tools that can be life changing for them in so many ways. Um, yeah.
0: Can you go more into that? Like what type of tools that you, you guys have found that help the most?
1: Yeah, well, even Microsoft Office has text-to-speech and dictation, mm-hmm. which some people don't even know about. And, I mean, that's the fastest free if you've got Microsoft. You don't need to invest in, um, oh, what I'd say is that Microsoft is kind of like the base level. Microsoft might not like me saying that. And it's, <laughs> it's great because it's already built in and it reads mm-hmm. to you and you can dictate, and I use it quite a lot. And then, um, you know, but the spell check on it isn't, fantastic. So what we'd then suggest is getting something like Grammarly is kind of that next level up and turning your spell check off Microsoft. And um, Grammarly then helps to it can help reorder your sentences as well. But it really starts it's better at identifying words that aren't correct, because what we find is we'll type in a word and it's spelled correctly, but it's not the right word for that sentence. But we can't see that. But if you've got text to speech on For me, I can hear the mistake, but I might not be able to see it. Mm. So being able to listen to the text and read along with it, I can pick it up. But these tools take us time, so we need to do some planning around using them. But Grammarly is a must for all dyslexics. Um, Using text-to-speech and dictation in Microsoft is the first option where you're not having to pay. Mm. And then there's other software like um, Read Aloud, where you get a little toolbar that sits in your Word document and it can store word lists for you. Cause I find my uh, vocabulary, my written vocabulary is really quite small and I have some default words I use like, great, everything's great, 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 great. Cause that's, I can spell that really fast <laughs> and it's yeah. ingrained in my brain. So everything I, there's all, and I have to sit, stop and think, hang on, can I use a different word? Um, but sometimes we can't spell the words we wanna use. So then I would also use Siri. So Siri sits on my desk and I talk to it, her all the time. So I'll ask her how to spell words. Um, so that's another tool that most people have a mobile phone these days. Uh, and then text, um, read aloud, it reads to you as well. You can dictate, you can store word lists at highlights for people as well, because sometimes people need a coloured background. Um, yeah. I. I don't really try, I've never really tried it, but other people found it just stops the glare. Gotcha. So if you're writing for someone that's dyslexic, usually a gray background is really helpful. And then, you know, 1.5 font spaced is really helpful. There's a lot of dyslexic fonts, but there's no real evidence base around them yet. It's subjective, like I don't like them. I find them hard to read, Uh, but other people find them really helpful. And that's the thing as we become adults, um, you have to find what works for you. And sometimes it's not evidence-based, but it works for you, you know. Right, and so right. even though we promote tools that are evidence-based, um, sometimes there's debates around coloured glasses and things like that. But at the end of the day, if it gets you to A to B and you're able to achieve what you're trying to achieve, then that's, that's the main point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what would you if you could think back to you know when you were going to school and you noticed things were getting tough for you um what would you say to your younger self if you could think back to that and know that what you know now what would you say to yourself
1: uh don't hang out with the smart keys that can help you get through <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. and ask questions I don't know whether it was our generation at the time. I ask questions all the time now because that's how I learn. But when I was younger, I think if I would just asked my mum why the letters moved. Or if I'd asked my mum, why why am I slower than everyone else at understanding things? Mm -hmm. or Why can't I get my word, my sentences out properly? I might get emotional now. Um, But I think if you're a parent or you're listening now, and you're noticing some of these challenges that we've talked about today, ask the question. And it's not about is this normal, because what is normal, but you know, if we're looking at reading, writing, there is a progression, and we, our skills grow as we get older in school. Mm -hmm. And if our skills aren't progressing, like the rest of our peers, or what we're seeing in our children, and they're not progressing like their peers, and ask the question, because we know that early intervention uh, is the key. It never changes for us. You know, We are born differently, our brains are different, but we can improve with early intervention. And that's, that's the most important thing if we can get young children assessed early and then accessing it, the support they need. Uh, but it's costly yeah. and a lot of people can't afford it. And this is where the barriers start to be created for us in society. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's so much that people are asking to be paid for that should be a right to all the kids and the and young adults and adults even, you know, that all of this should be something easily access, uh, accessible for people that are struggling. Because like you said, the when people are charged money for this, they, they may not be able to afford this, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. And that goes for a lot of stuff that's going around, you know
1: yeah and we spend a lot of time trying to advocate with our government because we have a national disability scheme and dyslexia is not included and i don't think adhd is either and you know they won't put us on because there's too many of us but i feel that if you know if we could get that access early then our need for government support as we progress into adulthood is reduced significantly um but even i found through coaching there's people that can't afford it and so we're looking at how we can do group coaching at a low cost so people are still getting that support it's not one-on-one yeah. but at least it's some support and it's with other people so they're not feeling so isolated and so we're hoping to start that in the next um, couple of months so that at least that's an option for people because we don't want money to be a barrier to accessing support which is why like we do right. our podcasts which are free we do a lot of yeah. youtubes that are free there's a lot of resources out there already that we've developed and um yeah and I refuse to monetize those because it needs to be free. Yeah. I don't mind paying for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Is that something that you've noticed um, with the people that you guys have coached that isolation and, and feeling alone and all this was a big, you know, big issue that you guys are you're coming up against?
1: Yeah. And that's why we started the, our closed, we've got a closed Facebook group. I think it's not huge, but, um, and people don't interact a lot, they're more, they're taking information in, I think, I mean, and social media is, you know, you can be criticized very quickly for not writing correctly. Um, Um, But yes, so that isolation and not, especially if you haven't disclosed before, um, that fear of coming out and talking about it
0: uh, is really isolating. Yeah, yeah. Is that one of the biggest um, hurdles that you had personally?
1: No, when I was diagnosed, I told everyone and my family just kept rolling their eyes <laughs> because for me, it was, I didn't, because I think I felt like I, something was wrong with me when I was doing my grad year, I didn't want employees thinking that I was dumb. I wanted to explain, I wanted a reason for why. And so I've always disclosed, um, but it's depended on, it's normally after I've finished my probationary period, So in Australia, you've got six months probationary period where they can terminate you at any point up until six months. And so, sorry, my cold. Um, (laughs) So I don't know what it's like in the US, but so normally I would wait. And I mean, even there's a box you can tick that says you've got a disability and I would never do that. But I would wait until my job was secure and then I would disclose. And then i get comments like, oh, now I know what's wrong with you or um, I would be, uh, I was accused of in my previous role, accused of um, having my, a number of roles actually, I've been accused of other people doing my work because they've edited it for me. Uh, So it's, even though it's been, sometimes it's been detrimental, majority times, I don't know. Um, But I've I've always said something because I just didn't want people to think that it was, that I was really dumb or stupid.
0: Wow, that's. I could. I can't even imagine what you guys go through with, feeling like that. I mean, I felt like that, and I didn't have dyslexia. I was just very, very slow at learning, and so. But and I felt the same way. I felt stupid, like I was always, you know, less than from people who were like high achievers and high like fast learners. My brother, for example, he's extremely smart. He, you know, went off to college and did everything. He's, he picks things up so quickly and he would never have to really study for tests. And I'm over, like, yeah. I'm over in the other corner trying to cram everything in for a week and studying 12 hours a day. And it's just not happening for me. Mm, yeah. So I totally get it. Yeah. And at
1: uni, like I just passed, I'd get 51, 52. And that was the same. I was studying really hard. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't understand why I was getting these low marks. Yep. And so I've always, yeah, ever since I've always disclosed to one of my brothers who's not dyslexic because my dad's dyslexic and my, one of my other brothers and my nephew, so it's very strong in our family. It comes from my dad. Okay. He's not diagnosed, but we know it's him. And um, my brother's not dyslexic. He always says, oh, God, Shane, it's not because of your dyslexia. Why do you always have to say that? So, you know, even in within your family, it's really hard for you, your nucleus to understand. Right. So, if you think even within your family, the people that love you the most still struggle. And my sister gets so frustrated with me, um, still, and I just say, them, oh, don't you understand dyslexic talk? How can you not understand me by now? But if you think <laughs> of your nucleus struggles, then, and then you start to go out into your friendship groups and your work groups and your society. Um, you know, there's that ripple effect of that lack of understanding yes. happening to us all the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, just thinking about it, the the frustration level must be super high for people that are are just, like for me, I used to get so mad because it felt like people just didn't understand me, didn't get it. They just didn't get it. But I couldn't explain myself enough for someone else to get it I just knew in my head something was different and off. And I was just, it used to get so frustrating. So I can only imagine, you know, having letters flipped and numbers flipped and not getting that, that would be even more stressful. So I I can only imagine what you guys went through.
1: Yeah, it is. It's frustrating. And that's what I say to my family. You're frustrated at me, or even my husband, when he gets frustrated. I say, you're frustrated with me right now. Think of how hard it is for me. Because I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated I can't do what you can do. I'm frustrated mm-hmm. I can't, if we're in an argument, I can't articulate myself properly and my brain gets confused and then I sound like I'm, I'm saying something worse or it's, it's the meaning's been lost. And um, yeah. it is. And so if you layer all those uh, challenges, not just with our, our actual disability or difficulty, whichever word you want to use, and then you've got all these other things, you can see quite quickly how our mental health is compromised and how important it is that um we try to put those self-care strategies in place Yeah. because we're there's constant walls that we're climbing uh, yeah. and it's not to say we can't climb them and i'm right. i'm proof that you know you can do what you want to uh but it's just it does take us a bit more time and we do need to be mindful and um, kind to ourselves right
0: do you do you find that um I, well, I can imagine a lot of people would look at the word dyslexia and never put that into a group with, you know, mental health issues. Like they could see maybe that it would be in school, like you can, you have a hard time in school, but they wouldn't ever, to me, from what I've, I've heard of people saying this, is that they don't correlate that with mental health. What, what would you say to the people that do say that?
1: Yeah, you're right. And we found that in my research that when people go to seek support, because I've always been a huge advocate of psychologists or counselors, I've talked about it openly, um, that I've always had a counselor or psychologist, Uh, but it's hard to find someone that actually understands that dual diagnosis of a learning difficulty and the compounding mental health issues that we're facing. And it would be, it's the same with ADHD. I mean, there was an article on LinkedIn yesterday about autism and psychologists not understanding autism. And and it's true. And I hope in time that we are able to build out some e-learning courses to support mental health practitioners because it, it's easy for us to go say, go and get mental health support. One, it's really hard. There's a lack of them, and especially after COVID. There's, you know, the mental health issues have skyrocketed. But then you've got to find someone that actually understands the complexities of a learning difficulty or neurodivergence.
0: Right, right.
1: Plus, then everything else we're going through day to day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It just just compounds on top of each other, and then you wonder why people are (laughs) are upset or sad or you know feel lonely and isolated. So, I mean, yeah i I could I could only imagine the, the struggles, especially when you notice it at a younger age, and then also at an older age realizing that oh my god my life could have been completely different if only I had this earlier, you know. So yeah, I can yeah. I can see the the struggles.
1: And I think you know, for parents listening out there where their if their child has is neurodivergent or neurodiverse, I'm not sure which term you're using in the US, it changes all the time. Yeah. Um but <clears throat> that getting access to mental health support from a young age is really, really important if you're able to. And you know, if you can't afford a psychologist or a counselor, there's so many resources now, like mindfulness activities, um, free apps that you can use, to start to build your your child's resilience and uh, ability to manage these difficulties that they're they're currently facing or they may face. Um, and if we're able to build those skills from a young age, then the risk of them, you know, collapsing as an adult or facing you know, suicide attempts, because of all the challenges, we're able to reduce that risk significantly if we're starting to embed these skills from a young age because we weren't taught them. It didn't exist. Right. <laughs> you know, it was right. hippie, you know, hoo-ha back in when we, I don't know, <laughs> I'm older than you. So when I was growing up, you know, it was, you didn't talk about meditation or, you know, that was just a mm-hmm. Buddhist thing or where now it's all integrated into how we do self-care. And so if we can teach children these strategies at a young age, then, you know, the the healthier and more successful they're going to be, which is what we want.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm very, very glad that you brought up, um, you know, going to therapies and, or different types of therapies. You know, a lot of people, um, I've said this on other episodes that a lot of people look at therapy and think, Oh, I don't want to go to a shrink or I don't want to, you know, it's, it's just, a negative connotation to the, that word of, of therapy. And I think, you know, if people look at it, there could be music therapy, it could be art therapy. It could be any therapy. There's so many different, you know, things that you can do to release those negative thoughts and negative feelings. But I mean, having that, you know, that person to help guide you through all this stuff in an unbiased person, um, is super important because you can, yes, you can go through all that stuff. You can listen to music on your own, things like that, but, you know, when you have that person to help guide you and help bring you through different milestones and, you know, you can see the progress that you're going through. I think it's it's incredible. And it's definitely something that I feel like more people around the world need to hear, that it's not bad, that it's it's very helpful. And, I mean, I go sometimes when I'm not even in, you know, a crisis or, or struggling with something, I just go so I can let off everything that's going on in my life, you know, because that can compound too.
1: Yeah, and that's really important because then, you know, you're, you're not waiting to we're in crisis mode. You know, we can be so reactive because that's, I think, our human nature is we just want to cruise along. It's in our genes. But if we're proactive like yes. you are, and, you know, when my mum was dying, I, I said to my psychologist, I need to go and see a grief counsellor because I need to start mm-hmm. putting strategies in place now to how I manage this next journey in my life. And so I started seeing a grief counsellor months before my mum passed away because I knew, one, I know the risk factors for my mental health because I've I've been down, I've been on both sides of it. Uh, and two, I just know how important it is to get that external support, like you've said, yeah. where it was a, a, a safe space for me to say things that I could never say to my family. I could um, talk about things that, you know, I had no one else to talk to about. And someone that understood the journey I was on, and that how hard it is. And so I think having that impartial person that um, can walk you through and support you is really important. And the more proactive we can be, and it comes back to that self care, we're looking after ourselves. And when we hit these barriers, or these blocks, or these challenges, we've got the strategies in place to reduce, doesn't take it away. Like it doesn't take the grief that I feel for my mum every day. But it helps me to manage it a bit more. And that's important because it's not just me, I've got my daughter who's two and I've got my husband, and I've got my family and I've got work and all these other things. And so if yeah. we're able to look after ourselves initially, uh, then well, we, can, we can manage these challenges better and our relationships I think better. And look, I'm not perfect, <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> not, but I strongly advocate for that um, external person. And my book I wrote, I have a chapter called The Mentor, The Shrink, and the coach Hmm. and i think even um if you don't think that a psychologist or a counselor will help being able to access a coach it might not feel so confronting that word and we're not counselors like i don't have a psych degree but i do have my lived experience and uh, my research and other things to help people or find a mentor someone that you look up to that is a sounding board um and you know having that person outside of your nucleus is really really important in whatever capacity that is
0: yeah yeah absolutely and I'm glad you brought up you know being your own self-advocate and and, you know pouring into yourself as much as you're helping other people you know if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not really engaging yourself in life you're never going to be able to truly help somebody else that you really want to because you're so you're emptying yourself too much you know, I. I'm a huge advocate for self-care and I in the past would do anything and everything for everybody else and completely neglect myself and then all oh, I felt like a huge weight and all the troubles seemed to come down all at once but it was simply because I wasn't taking the time to just care for myself before I was able to pour into everybody else. So I'm glad you, you know, you talked about, you know, self-care because it's huge. It's very very important.
1: And you know the free, the cheapest self-care I found is sleep. And yes. now that my thesis is nearly finished, every time my daughter goes to have a nap on the weekend, I go and have sleep. Yeah. And my husband laughs at me, but you know I've always been a napper. I need to for my brain to just shut down and to just yeah. um, to take a break from everything. And so if I can fit a nap in, if I don't have clients after my day job and my daughter's in bed and she's home, I'll go and lie down for half an hour. Yeah. and that's the cheapest self-care you could ever implement and it does you the world good
0: (laughs) yes yes it's the time where your brain reboots and gets rid of all the toxins and yeah sleep is huge yeah absolutely I think that's what the first thing that my therapist always brings up how are you sleeping (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's so important it really is
1: yeah it is I try to get at least nine hours and everyone looks at me and goes what I'm like yep I could probably have up to 11 hours I think would be ideal, but, you know, I can't do less than nine. I don't function well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think everybody has their certain number where they're, they're, you know, they're good at. But anything eight and over, I think I'm a huge advocate for. A minimum of eight is what people should be getting. Mm. That just lets your body completely relax and just let go of all stress, you know. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is. So um, at the end of our episodes, I like to ask our guests random different questions that have nothing to do with, uh, you know, mental health and just more so that our, our audience can get to know our guests just on a fun level. So if you were to choose somewhere in the world that you haven't been, and what would, what would be the place they would really, really want to visit?
1: Mm, I think Antarctica before the ice caps melt. yeah Yeah. before global warming takes it all away I'd love to go to Antarctica my um, parents and Laura going in January and that's one thing I'd really really love to do
0: oh that's fun Mm. that should be a really great trip yes all right um if you what were actually what was your childhood dream job like what did you want to do when you got older
1: that's so funny I can still see myself dressed up in grade six in my mum's high heels with a pretend briefcase because I wanted to be a lawyer.
0: Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, let's see, what else? Um, what is your favorite color?
1: Mm, it, it changes as I get older. I think mustard okay. is my favorite color now. It used to be red and I had a red kitchen and now I look back and go, oh my God, I can't believe I had
0: a red kitchen. It was horrible. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Nice. Hey, you know, whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you happy, I say go for it. Uh, Yep. Nice. That was a faux part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What type of um, music do you like listening to the most? All right. I love pink
1: nice yep think is awesome but uh, it's it's very mixed the one thing i ha- will not listen to is heavy metal <laughs> anything oh, else but heavy metal
0: <laughs> same same here i never understood it just the screaming doesn't make sense to me
1: <laughs> no no i can't cope with the noise
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and last one if there was something a talent that you could have something that you wish you could do what would that be
1: hmm I'd really like to be much better at sport.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Is there a specific one that you'd like?
1: Well, I'm just really clumsy. So, (laughs) you know, I've always wanted to run a half marathon and I keep telling everyone I'm going to do it at one point. Uh, that is definitely on my list. So I, I, you know, we grew up in sports, such an important aspect of life and I was always terrible at it. So I think that would be the one thing I'd like to be good (laughs) at. Yeah. Are you, are you going to start training for it? Oh, look, I have aspirations (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I did start running and then winter came
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh I hear you I'm right there with you
1: (laughs) so I'm just trying to commit to doing Pilates three times a week at the moment because I hurt my back um so it's about self-care so you talk about self-care all the time uh but no if I could be good at anything it probably would be sport so I fit it in (laughs) more as a child
0: (laughs) yeah Awesome. And reading, of
1: course, it'd be nice. To be, no, I, I, yes. I think I'd like to be able a ride better.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That may, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, Shay, thank you so much for, you know, coming on our podcast. I'm, I'm very, very sure that our listeners will definitely get some really good pieces of uh, information from you. Is there, um, if people wanted to talk to you more um, about the things that you've gone through or what your organization does, is there a way that they could reach out to you?
1: Sure. They can go to rethink dyslexia.com.au and then I can send you my email because it's quite long, which is annoying because for dyslexics, that's really annoying. I need to get it fixed. <laughs> um, okay. But it's Wissell at rethinkdyslexia.com.au um, Or if they just Google me, Shea Wissell. I generally pop up everywhere.
0: Okay. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Shay. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and being up early (laughs) to do this interview.
1: No, thank you. It was just a joy to talk to you. Good luck. And I'm really pleased you're doing this podcast. It's such an important topic.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great evening. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shift in the Script, the mental health podcast that aims to destigmatize mental health and create a safe space for open and honest conversations. We hope today's episode has brought you some insights and perspectives on various mental health issues. If you or someone you know would like to share their story or expertise on our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us on our website or social media channels to learn more about how you can become a guest on Shift in the Script. And remember, mental health is a journey. It's not a destination. Talking about it is the first step towards creating a more supportive and understanding world. Let's continue to support and uplift one another as we shift the script on mental health. See you next time.